You are listening to a message from Treeline Church, a life-giving church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. If you are in the Pittsburgh region, we would love to have you join us in person for one of our services. Check out treeline.church for times and location. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. So this morning we are continuing a series called Friending, and it's not actually a word, but it makes for a great series title. And this is something that we feel is really important. And I know sometimes when we talk about friends, especially as an adult, we can kind of feel that it's kind of trivial, or it might seem a little bit trite, or is it a big deal? Because a lot of times when we look back at our friend relationships when we're young, we can really see how important they are, right? I mean, when you're a teenager, when you're in high school, even college, or even middle school, those friendships can be really defining in our life. And sometimes when we get older, we might not think that friends have that kind of impact on us. Well, really, they do. We dive into this last week, and we really came to this understanding that we really are the average of the closest people that we surround ourselves with. And we really jumped in, and we talked, and this is a theme that we're going to talk about the entire series, and it was this saying, it says, show me your friends, and I'll show you your future." Simply put, that with some level of, um, with some level, you can look and see the people that you surround yourself with, with the people that you are closest to, the people that you are doing life with. If we get a good picture, a good glimpse of who those people are that you're running with, your circle, that will have a pretty good idea with some level of success to predict where you will end up in your future. And this is something that they've shown and they've done studies and they've really been to dig into this and understand that we really are the average of our closest friends. And so this was a verse that we shared in Proverbs 13, 20, it says, walk with the wise and become wise for a companion of fools suffers harm. See, when we understand that the people that we do life with have a direct impact on the things that are honestly most important for us. And as we shared this message last week, and, and we had people try to write down, we said, list your five closest friends. And we gave you note cards, and we encourage you to do that. Maybe if you weren't here last week, you could try to write down your five closest friends. And we talked about that. It's kind of hard. Uh, most people in America now only have two close friends. And then some people aren't able to list a single close friend anymore because the way our culture is changing. We're more connected than ever before through social media and technology, but our relationships, our face-to-face friendships have really suffered, and we're more disconnected more than ever before. I heard some interesting thoughts and feedback um, after the message last week, and something I thought was really great, we talked about how there's this phobia that's developed that people really don't want to talk on the phone. It's a legitimate phobia. Like, people are afraid of spiders, people are afraid of talking on the phone, and some people are talking about that. They're like, yeah, it's true. Like, you get a voicemail, right? And you need to just listen to the voicemail or you look at the text, the transcript of the voicemail and you don't call them back. What do you do? You text, right? Because we don't want to, we don't want to talk to people on the phone. It's almost like I had a friend recently. It was a, I think last year I'd called him and he was all concerned. He's like, what's wrong? I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, you, you called. There must be something wrong, right? I'm like, no, I'm just calling to say, hey, right? And he's like, oh man, I thought there was something really wrong. You were calling instead of texting. And we talked about the importance and the role that Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and social media has on our lives. And they can be a really great thing, right? It's really great to be able to connect with people and people that you knew years ago and stay on top of people in relationships. But something that we talked about, even heard some feedback that people were on it all the time, right? And even getting up in the middle of the night or having it on our nightstand. And the first thing we do is we just get up and we wake up, we pick up that phone, we begin to scroll and scroll and we just are so addicted to it. And yet we still feel so so alone, even though we're more connected than ever. 
Something that I thought was really tragic is the inability to list a single friend when we're honest with ourselves and our Instagram feeds are full of tons of followers and we've got all of these friends on Facebook. But when it came down to really being able to list out those people who are the closest friends in our life, it can be really challenging. Now, I hope that's not depressing to you and I hope that doesn't get you down because if that's where you're at, you're not alone. This is where we are as a nation. This is where we've come as a culture that people really don't have the personal relationships. And I really want to talk about three types of poverty today. And the first type of poverty everyone gets, material poverty, right? And we understand what that is. Material poverty is when someone lacks the basic needs. Maybe it's finances or money or, or housing or food. They, they lack something material that makes them impoverished. They're in poverty. And we get that. And usually when we hear poverty, that's the first thing that we think of. But honestly, there are other areas in our life that we can experience poverty. The second one is spiritual poverty. This is the idea that we are impoverished spiritually. Now, if we haven't come to relationship with Jesus, that would seem like that would be an obvious that we would have spiritual poverty. But the same thing can be true that if we say yes to relationship with Jesus, we're following after God and we're not investing into that relationship. We're not growing. We're not taking next steps. We're not getting involved in a small group. We're not getting involved in serving and doing growth track. We're not doing the water baptism. We're not doing all those things that we've laid out as next steps. If we're not growing spiritually, we can experience spiritual poverty. That we could live our life in spiritual lack, not having what we need to really enjoy this life that God has given us because we're spiritually impoverished. And the last one I really want to hone in on today, and maybe you have never thought about this before, but is relational poverty. That as a nation and as a culture, we are really living as a nation that is impoverished relationally. As I said, we are more connected than ever before. You could get out your device right now and text anyone. You could message anyone on social media, but we really lack those close relationships. And we kind of get this, right, that something is wrong, that something seems to be missing, that someone is missing in our lives, and so I really want to dive in and dig into this a little bit more, this idea, because I know when we are young, it seems like it could be a little easier to get friends. But the older that we get and the more we have going on, it seems like the harder and harder it gets to actually have any kind of valid or valuable relationships in our lives. And so I really want to dump, jump in there. And here's what I want us to help us understand today is this, is that we are one friend away from changing the course of our destiny. You might be one friend away from changing the course of your destiny. Now, that's a really big statement, isn't it? Like one friend from changing my destiny. Like, whoa, man, that just like got really deep, really quick. We were just talking about hanging out with a few people. Now we're like changing my destiny over a friend. Yes, you are one friend away. You are potentially one friend away from changing the course of your life, your destiny. And as we talked about this, that the average American only has two friends. And so this is something that we've got to put some effort into, something we've got to become aware of because God never designed us to do life alone, that we are supposed to be in relationship together. So if you ask yourself this question, what are the things that you are trying to do? What are the things that are important to you in life? What are some goals that you want to achieve, whether that's financially or relationally or in a marriage or a relationship with your kids or with a job or career or school? Whatever it is, you have to ask yourself that question. What are the things in life that are most important to me? What am I trying to achieve? Well, we're going to jump in. We're going to take a look at a guy in the Bible. His name was Paul. 
And Paul, before his name was Paul, was actually Saul. He got a name change. This was kind of common in the Bible. Like they'd have a name and before they knew God, and then they would come to know God, and they would get a new identity, and they would receive a new name. And so Paul was actually Saul first. And why this is a really big deal is that Paul wanted to preach. He wanted to show up in the church, and he wanted to tell people about how good God was, that Jesus loved him. Now here's the issue with that, is that before Paul was Paul, he was Saul. And now Paul that we know, he wrote like, two-thirds of the New Testament. He traveled all over the known world at the time, planting churches. He suffered all kinds of abuse and harm for the pursuing and advancing the kingdom of God that people would know who Jesus was. And so he did all these amazing things. But before that happened, his name was Saul, and he had a very different life. See, before that, he used to actually persecute Christians. It was his job, his vocation to hunt Christians down, to expose them and actually even have them in times put to death. So you could imagine when this guy has a conversion experience, he meets Jesus, God totally changes his life, and now he wants to show up and start telling people about God at church. You can imagine the early Christians' apprehensions, right? Like, I don't want him showing up to my small group, right? Can you imagine? It's a trick. This is the guy that was just hunting. He just hunted Betty down. Why are we letting him in the church and preach? Like, this is crazy. What's wrong with you people, right? He's trying to come in all covert. He's like, I got you. And they'll like bust open the doors and they'll come in with the guns see you're all dead. No, it's a, that's not, and that's, I can't imagine that's what they were thinking. And so they tell him like, you know what? Take a hike. There's no way you're coming in here. But something happens. See, Paul has a friend and he changes the course of his destiny because he's willing to vouch for him. Take a look in Acts 9. It says this, when Saul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples but they were afraid of him, not believing that he was really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. See, I love this. See, this is something that he felt that he was called to do, that he was going to preach the gospel. He was going to tell people about Jesus, but he couldn't get there because why? He had a past reputation, but then comes Barnabas. And what does he do? Barnabas puts his reputation on the line to vouch from this guy. And because of that, his destiny was changed. And even today, thankfully, he had a good friend like that because now we get to experience the writings of Paul and be encouraged by his journey and what he did in championing the faith. And so I think sometimes for us, when we start thinking about friends, and I don't know if you've experienced this before, but it seems like the natural thing to do is really just trying to find a friend who's in the same phase of life as you, right? Kind of like when you're a teenager, you're looking for someone who's a teenager, right? If you're, if you're married in your 50s, you're looking for someone who's kind of in that vibe, doing that sort of thing in life. And if you're in your early 20s or young adults, you're, you're looking for someone who's in that phase of your life. And I think that you can have some friends like that that, that could be valuable, but I think sometimes we sell ourselves short when we are only looking for friends who are in the same demographic as ourselves. And I know personally in my own life, you would think that I had just had this great experience and I just knew all about having friends and following after Jesus. So therefore my relationships are really deep and rich and involved. And that was not the case at all. Matter of fact, I had been pastoring for several years and I had some people who were friends definitely in my life, but I didn't really have people in my life who I was really close with who were really helping making me better because I just didn't know how to open up. I didn't know how to be a friend to someone or really have that kind of friend in my life. 
And so thankfully, uh, there was someone who came into my life years ago, and I was actually in my 20s. They were in their 40s, totally different generation. I was just starting to have kids, and their, their kids were almost grown and out of the house. We were just two totally different generations. But something really amazing happened as I learned what a friend was really like. I learned what it was like to have someone who had my back and I could really be open and honest to. I found out what it was like to actually have someone who was open and transparent with me and shared some things with me that made me feel at ease being like, wow, I don't, I don't have to be some super Christian or super pastor with my cape on and having all the answers. But there are people who actually care about me and want to be my friend. And I think sometimes we sell ourselves short. And that's a friendship that I have to this day that we communicate on a regular basis. And now that I'm way out of my 20s, right, knocking on the door on my 40s, which means he is in his 50s. And it's just amazing to see how God has blessed that relationship. And something that I think we sell ourselves short if we're only looking for people who are either the same age. Because here's what I've known to be true in my life, and I've seen it over and over again. That God can use people who are older than us. He can even use people who are younger than us to really be a close friend and help us to be better. So we're going to talk about three types of friends that every person needs. And to do this, we're going to explore a life of a guy named David. And we've talked about David quite a bit. And you know David probably from the fame of David and Goliath. David was a guy who was, he was, took down Goliath. Remember the giant, he goes out and he slays the giant. Perhaps you've heard that story before. And so David wasn't perfect, but the Bible does say that he was a man after God's own heart. And see, David had all kinds of successes. He did a lot of things right. But he also did something that was a pretty big fail that a lot of people, he became a very well-known significant failure in his life. But really with all the things that went right in his life, he really had the right people, the right friends in the right place at the right time to help, to help him on his path, to help him achieve that destiny that God had for him. And so the first friend that we're going to talk about from David is Samuel. And see, Samuel was a friend who makes you better. And every single one of us, we need a Samuel. We need someone who's going to help us be better, to help us do better, to help us to achieve those goals, those things that we were talking about. And so something that had happened when David, before he came king, there was another king. His name was Saul. Now, not to be confusing, not the one we just talked about. This is Saul in the Old Testament. And so he was the king at that time. He had kind of really messed up, and God's like, hey, you're not going to be king anymore, and so someone else is going to be king. No one knew who it was going to be, and so God calls on this prophet, and he tells him, hey, I want you to go find the next king, and I want you to anoint him and announce that this is the person who's going to be king, and so what he does, God tells him, hey, it's going to be one of this guy's Jesse. It's going to be one of his sons, and so what does he do? The prophet Samuel gets there, and he's like, call out all the sons, and he's like, oh, well, here's the oldest son, definitely the best looking. He's the oldest. He's got some life experience. This is definitely who God is called to be king. And God's like, nope, that's not it. And it's like, oh, it's not? So well, there's the next son. Brings out the next son in line, next one in the birth order. Well, apparently, yes. Oh, okay. This guy is meant to be the king. And they're like, nope, that's not him either. And I'm like, well, what? And they just keep going all the way down the line. And finally, Samuel's like, well, don't you have any other sons? And he's like, well... There is this one kid I've got. His name's David. He's out in the, you know, he's out in the field. He's a stick. You know, he's just tending the sheep. We don't really trust him with anything. He just watches the sheep because they're kind of dumb. And, you know, we're not trying to say anything, but he's the youngest. And yeah, I mean, but surely you can't be talking about him, right? Not Dave, like not Davey, you know. And just like, 
have you seen our son? Are you sure? Can you come pray one more time? Make sure it's not him. And sure enough, they bring him in. Samuel sees him and he says, and this is what he says in 1 Samuel 16. He says, the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. Now just pause there. Can you imagine seeing the look on the older brother's faces at this point? Because you know exactly like, of course it's the youngest. He already gets everything we want. Why can't he have the kingdom too? It's because he's the youngest, right? He gets everything. So Samuel took the horn of oil and he anointed him in the presence of his brothers. Oh man, right? And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Don't you love this? See, not a person in David's family could have ever thought in their wildest dreams of all of the brothers that he would have been chosen to be king. And see, here's the thing. God told the prophet, he said, you know what? You've been looking at all the things that everyone else looks at. You've just been looking at outward appearances. You've just been looking at their physical strength and stature. You've been looking at their life experience. You're just picking the obvious things that you would think would be the king. But see, God says, I'm not looking at all those things on the outside. I'm looking at what's on the inside. And what to me is more important than anything is not on the outside what they've got going on, but what's going on in the inside. And the same thing is true for us, that God has chosen you. And people might be looking at the outside. They may be looking at the exterior and they might think like, well, God would never use them. Well, they're not going to have a very successful life. They're not going to achieve much. Good luck with that marriage. That's not going to be great. Did you see the family they came from? And see, God's not looking at what everyone else looks at. He's looking at the inside. And see, we all need a friend that helps us, makes us better. And see, what happens many times in life that we kind of have accidental friendships. What do I mean like that? We just end up with the friends that we kind of do life with. It's the buddies at the office, right? If your kids are on a sports team, it's the parents of the other team members. And maybe it's someone in one of your classes at, at school, whatever it is. Sometimes we just have those buddies at the gym, the people that we just kind of rub up against that we, we see in life. And they kind of become the friendships that we have. And they're kind of accidental. But we got to ask ourselves the questions of those relationships. Do they make us better? Do they make you better? See, I'm so thankful in my life that over this last year, there's been a group of, of pastors that are all from all over the, the country who have come together with this group, and it's called The Brotherhood, and it's just been so amazing for me, and many of them have planted a church. They're a little further along than I am, and it's just been so encouraging to me because, yeah, we talk about, you know, being a better pastor and a better leader and leading a church, but the thing that has meant so much to me in helping me be better is that they're transparent and honest, and they challenge me to be a better follower of God. It's not what can you do for God, Brian, but what can you do as a child, that you are his son, that you matter to him. It's not what you can do and what you can achieve or how important it is that my family is priority. I'm thankful for those people that help me be better. Matter of fact, as we started this church planning journey uh, a little over, I guess, three or four years now, it's coming up on, we didn't know where we were going to go. We didn't know who we were going to partner with. And uh, I was connected with a pastor his name is Jeff Leak, and he pastors a church called Allison Park on the north side of the city. And I kind of didn't know where we were going to land. We thought that God was putting Pittsburgh on our heart. We didn't know who was going to kind of help us along. And so I have one phone call with him, and then we sit down with Starbucks, and he actually was the one friend that changed my destiny. Matter of fact, if you're sitting in this room, if you've enjoyed any ministry at Treeline, you can thank that friend that God sent into my life because he saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And I was almost like, hey, what's the catch. Like, why would you want to help me? Why would you want to enable me to be a church planner? I'm not even sure that I know what's going on or that I have what it takes, but he saw something in me and he believed in me and he encouraged us and he coached me and he invested into us and he helped us get this church off the ground. We need friends like that that help us to be better. 
And so you have to ask yourself if you're wanting to have a better marriage, if you're wanting to be closer to God, if you're wanting to grow spiritually, if you want to be better as a parent, maybe you have some business endeavors or some things financially or even physically that you're wanting to do. Do you have friends in your life that help you be better? Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Don't you love that image? That that's what friends are meant to do, to make each other better, that we're supposed to sharpen each other. So that's the first friend that we all need. Everyone needs a Samuel, someone who helps us be better. The second friend that we all need is we all need a Jonathan. We all need a friend who helps us find spiritual strength. See, in this story, David was anointed to be the next king, and he really became a war hero because what happens? He takes out Goliath. Trust me, you kill a giant, you get famous really quick. They didn't need social media back then. But if they did, Twitter would have blown up. It would have been, you know, overwhelmed. But he just became so famous. And he actually goes to war and he becomes a war hero. And he's not doing this to like build his own fame or because he's trying to take the throne from Saul. He's doing this in service of the current king. He's trying to show him, look what a great guy. I'm a team player. I'm helping you out. But that's not what Saul thought at all. Matter of fact, they started singing a song and it went a little bit like this. They said, Saul, the current king, he has slain his thousands in war, right? But David, and strike up the band, he has slain his tens of thousands, right? And you can imagine how well that went over with the king. The king's like, oh yeah, could you put that one on repeat? Yeah, yeah, stream that to the Bluetooth speaker. That's great. It's got kind of that catchy beat. David's got his 10,000. I'm weak. I'm a terrible king. And it's just, can you imagine? And so he is just enraged with jealousy, and he's like, we're going to take him out. And he's like, he's just filled with hatred for him. And he actually hunts David down to kill him. This crushes David. He's like, I'm just trying to do the right thing. I'm just trying to serve you. So God, what are you doing? I'm just trying to be out here just helping my kingdom out, helping the king out. And, this, and he wants to kill me. And so he's down in the dumps. He's running from his life. And then something amazing happens. God sends him a friend. And this is what's amazing. He sends him Jonathan. But you got to know who Jonathan is. Jonathan is Saul's son. He is the king's son who actually becomes one of David's best friends. And in 1 Samuel 23, it says, While David was at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. I love this image because no matter how much we're able to accomplish, no matter how much we think people are following after God or doing his will, everyone, even those who are closest to God, we will face temptations. We will be discouraged. It'll be something that happens on some random Tuesday where you're just trying to live life and it'll get you down. You have to ask yourself this question. Who is it that lifts you up when you are getting down? When you are alone and feeling lonely and isolated and feeling overwhelmed, who is it that comforts you? Who is that person that is praying for you, believing you, encouraging you with scripture, saying, I've been praying for you this week. God just put you on my heart. And here's a verse that he gave me. I'm not sure what this means to you. I just wanted to give this to you, let you know that I'm praying for you, that I believe for you. Friends, we need friends in our life who encourage us spiritually. I've seen so many people wiped out. They want to follow after God, but then the difficulties, the storms of life hit. And because we don't have that friend to encourage us spiritually, it takes us out. I've experienced this in my own life in a big way. I've shared the story before, and I don't know if you've heard it, but years ago we had a daughter who, who passed away. She was a few, few days old. 
And it was really tough. It was a very difficult phase of life. And then a double whammy hit. Six months, months later, my dad dies unexpectedly. And he was my friend. He was my pastor. And I was just close to him. And it was just unbelievable. I couldn't process it. And so with those double whammies, and here I am pastoring. I'm leading students. We got a vibrant, growing student ministry. We're packing the room out. Kids are coming to Jesus. It's amazing. And I am so broken inside. I don't even know if I could do it anymore. I literally had this thing replay in my head over and over again that I would get up and talk in front of the students just like I'm doing right now. And I'd have this mental image of me just like dropping the mic and walking off the stage and being like, I can't do this anymore. I'm done. How can I lead these kids and celebrate God and how good he is when I'm just broken, I'm hurting, I'm a wreck. But thankfully I had some friends who didn't let me stay in that, who showed up in my life who gave me the grace and said, you know what? Yeah, you are a pastor. And you know what? Yeah, you're following after Jesus, but you need some grace right now. And you're hurting and it's okay to hurt. And I'm sorry that that happened and we don't have reasons for it, but we want you to know that we love you and we believe you and whatever you need, we are here for you. And it wasn't just some empty platitude. They showed up in my darkest hour when no one wanted to be my friend because I was a mess and I was pushing everyone away. See, we need people in our life who help us be spiritually better, who encourage us and give us spiritual strength when we are weak. We need those people in our life. Do you have that? Do you have those people? And if not, be encouraged. Why? Because you are one friend away from changing your destiny. That we need a friend who can help us get better, and we need a friend that helps us find spiritual strength when we are weak. The third and final friend in David's story that we're going to talk about today is a Nathan. Every single one of us need a friend who will tell us the truth. Oh, here's where it's about to get really prickly. You guys were like, hey, I'm kind of cool with someone helping me be better. Yeah, and I could use some spiritual encouragement. But let's back the train up on this one. Because when it talks to about, comes to having a friend that tells us the truth, this is where we kind of really start to push back on the friend thing right? Because someone who tries to tell us the truth in love, not being a jerk, but because they love us, what's the initial reaction? You don't know me. Oh, I guess you're just better. Oh, how perfect are you, right? Well, you know, we don't want anyone to hold us accountable and tell us the truth. But here's what we got to catch in David's story, that David did a lot of right things, but David had one massive failure. I'm sure he messed up lots, but there was one that is like a really big deal. See, David got into an adulterous affair with someone else's wife. He sleeps with another woman that is not his wife, and then he gets her pregnant. And so at this point, he could come out with it and say, I messed up, I failed, but that is not what David does. David takes the other option, and he has her husband killed. He sends her to the front line. He knows he's going to be killed in battle, has him killed, and then he's like, we're good now, right? (laughs) Ha! Guess what? And then he takes the woman to be his wife. No one will know, right? Hopefully no one does math to be able to figure out nine months from now. But you know, hey, they're not going to question it because I'm the king and it's all covered up. It's fine. No one's going to know. He's not remorseful. He doesn't repent to God. He's the king at the time leading the nation. This is kind of a big deal, right? And so something happens. God sends him a friend. And this friend, Nathan, tells him his story. And the story goes like this. He tells the king, he said, hey, David, there's this guy. There's two guys, there's this really rich guy, and he's got all of the lambs, all of the livestock, all the sheep that you can imagine. He is so wealthy. But then there's this other guy, 
This other guy, he's really poor, and he only has this one little baby lamb, and he raised it. He fed it, right? It came into his home. It was, the Bible even says it was like a daughter to him, right? And he loved this lamb, but then something happens. This traveler comes to the rich man, and he's hungry. And so what does the rich man do? He doesn't take one of his own lambs that he has multitudes of them. He takes the poor man's one little sheep, slays it, and then feeds it to the guy, and David just becomes enraged. David's like, oh, that is, the, that is the worst thing I've ever heard. What a jerk. What a scumbag, low-life scout. He deserves to die, right? He needs to pay that back. What a horrible human being. What scum. And he just, I can imagine Nathan just letting him go on at this point. Like, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. what else? What else is he? What else? Because then he gets to this point in 2 Samuel. He says this, then Nathan said to David, you are the Man, And this wasn't like, you're the man, King David. It was like, you're the scumbag. You're the jerk. You just did this. And see, in this moment, David could have pushed back. He's the king, right? He had one guy killed. Why couldn't he just kill Nathan too? Just pile up the bodies. No one will ever know. But that's not what happens. See, he calls him out and he tells him the truth. And something happens that David hadn't experienced before. He actually begins to show remorse. He begins to express his guilt he begins to cry out. There's even a psalm that he just laments and says, what a terrible person and how much he needs God's forgiveness. And he messed up and he failed. Why? Because he had a friend who was willing to stand to the king and say, you know what? That wasn't right. That was kind of a jerk move, David. And he calls him out and he tells him the truth. And see, I've experienced this in my own life. And I've been thankful for me. I'm a pastor. It's what I do. And I don't know exactly what you do. Some of you I do. Some of you don't. Maybe in healthcare, education. Maybe you're still in school. I don't know what it is that you do. But that's what I do. I'm a pastor. But here's what I know to be true. Is that many times what we do can be really confused with who we are. See, and who I am is not what I do. I'm a pastor, but that's not who I am. First and foremost, I'm a child of God, and God wants relationship with me more than anything that I can do for him. And secondly, this is what I needed some friends in my life to call out. I need some friends in my life to say, hey, Brian, you don't need to start stressing out about getting this church up off the ground because you know what? Yeah, it's a lot of work and yeah, it's a lot of risky and it's a lot of chance of it could fail. But even if it did, you've got to know that your identity is not a pastor. Even when I was leading a youth group and we were exploding and all these wonderful things were happening, that was not my identity. My identity was my relationship with God. And then I was thankful that I had some friends that said, you know what, Brian? Anyone could lead that youth group. Anyone could pastor this church. See, anyone could come in. It's not, I'm not doing anything special, all right? Anyone could come in. God could use anyone to come past your tree line. But see, what I knew, and some friends called out in me, they said, but only you can be a husband to your wife. Only you can be a dad to your children. And yeah, it's really important what you're doing. And see, the same thing is true for you. It's really important what you're doing. And that's, that's painful, right? It's painful to have a friend call you out and tell you the truth, especially when you're just trying to make a living. You're providing for your family. I'm building a church. We're doing something from God. And those are all important things that we've got to do, but we've got to have some friends in our life like I did. And it would have been really easy in that moment to be like, well, you know, you don't really know my story. You don't know what's going on. Or I can just play the pain card. We don't know what happened to me and all my story. And yeah, I understand what you're saying, but here's what I've got going on. This is really important, but we have some people in our lives, and I'm thankful for friends who are willing to say the hard things to me, to make me realize that more important than me leading or pastoring a church, that my daughters need me to be their dad, that my wife Christy needs me to be the husband and man of God that he has called me to be in her life, and I'm thankful for some friends who are willing to be honest with me about that, and now catch this, and who don't tell me that once, but we have the hard conversations, 
Oh, come on, someone. This is like friend 2.0. When you give someone the keys and say, I want you to call me out, you got to know it's going to hurt. And why do I know that to be true? Because take a look in Proverbs 27. It says an open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. It is not a joyful experience when your friends sometimes call you out in truth. And here's what you got to catch, that this is in love. This isn't like calling someone on the carpet and be like, ha, caught you. No, this is saying, I love you and care enough about you that I'm going to tell you the truth. And sometimes when people tell us the truth, it straight up just hurts. It's not something that's pleasant. It causes us to really take some serious introspection and make us really understand how dependent and reliant on God we really are and how much we need him in our life. It's so important that we have all three types of these friends. See, friends, as we talk about that, and we talk about a Nathan that we all need, we need a friend who tells us the truth. The question that I have to ask myself and ask you is, are you willing to allow someone to be a Nathan in your life? Are you willing to give someone the keys and say, I want you to hold me accountable? I know that you love me and that you are for me and that you're not trying to attack me. You simply want the best for me. Are you willing to allow someone just like this proverb say, not hidden love, not I love you, but I don't want to kind of be honest with you. I love you enough to be honest with you. See, there's a pretty big difference. See, we need all three of these friends in our lives. We need a Samuel who will help us be better to help us accomplish those visions and those dreams and those goals in our lives. We need a Jonathan who will help us when we're spiritually weak to find that strength that we need to continue on, to keep going, to keep following after God, even when those storms of life come. And finally, we need a Nathan, a friend who will just be honest with us and tell us the truth. See, in this series, we're really unpacking the type of friend that we need and the friend that we need to be for others. Because some of us today, we hear this and we can become discouraged because we're like, I don't have those people. And I'll say it every week. Sometimes we just got to start by being the friend for someone else that we need ourselves. Sometimes we need to be the friend that helps some fun, someone find some spiritual strength. Sometimes we need to be the friend that helps someone get better. Sometimes we got to lay some time down in our schedule. Sometimes we've got to be bold enough to love someone to tell them the truth. Many times what happens is those relationships develop and even my own experience that it, it takes time, but God will really truly honor that friendship and something amazing happens. See, as we talked about relational poverty, it might be something that you may be oblivious or never even had that thought before. But the truth is that if we're not aware of it, we will be relationally impoverished. And friends, God never intended us to live life relationally in poverty. He desires us for it to be in relationships. And so if you would take a look at your closest friends, if you would take a look at the current friends and the circle that you're running around with yourself and, and maybe it's just the same old and things really haven't changed and maybe they're not helping you be better or find spiritual strength or they're not telling you the truth and love, where is that going to lead you? If that trajectory doesn't change, what is that ultimately going to look like? Is that gonna look like you getting to the goals that you're looking for? Is it going to lead you into some situations that aren't going to be so great? Is it going to look like broken relationships? Is it going to look like getting caught into addiction? Is it going to look like going down a path of destruction? Or is it going to be someone who's truly going to have your back? See, friends, we are one friendship away. One friendship away from a better marriage. One friendship away from leaving that depression behind. We're one friend away from being a stronger leader. 
in our home, in our job. We, we are one friend away from overcoming that addiction. We are one friend away from getting in better physical shape. Whatever it is, whatever the goal, you could fill in the blank, the things that you are trying to achieve and do, that we are one friend away from changing our destiny. Would you bow your heads with me and pray? Heavenly Father, God, I know that this can be a really difficult challenge. And I know that sometimes when we hear these kind of messages, it can cause us to be discouraged. But God, today I pray that there would be no guilt, there would be no condemnation, that no one would feel overwhelmed with this. But instead, God, they would see an opportunity before them. Instead of seeing the lack of these friends in our life, they would see the potential to pioneer some friendships in their lives. God, to find some people in their lives who they can do this with. God, that you would open up the doors. God, I even pray for opportunities for people to connect. For God, people to be brave enough to make time to jump into a small group, to be vulnerable. To make the call, to meet for coffee. To make the time to come over someone's home, Lord. Whatever it takes, whatever it looks like, God, that you would give us the ability, the desire, the bravery. God, that we would free the schedule, that we would do whatever it takes, Lord, to have these kind of friendships. Lord, recognizing that it can change the course of our destiny. Today, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, the one friend that you can make today that will absolutely guarantee to change your destiny is the friend of Jesus Christ. See, I, I don't know where you've been in your life. I don't know what you've done. I don't know if you've grown up in church or if this is all kind of new to you. You're not kind of sure. It's kind of skeptical. Religion just seems like some kind of old dated thing that grandparents used to do and it's kind of whatever. But here's what I know to be true. Because every single one of us is in need of a savior. Here's the good news. You can't be good enough. You can't earn it. We don't deserve it. Well, why is that the good news, Brian? Because God loved you so much. He was willing to pursue you and wanted to be a kind of friend that would change your destiny, that he sent his only son to pay the price for you. What does that mean? That we all messed up. We all missed the mark. We all fell short of God's standard. And so in order to have a relationship with him, he sent his son to be a sacrifice, died a brutal death on a cross, but that's not where the story ends. See, three days later, he rose back from the dead and he defeated death. He defeated the grave and he came back victorious. Why? So that you could have a relationship with a loving God who wants more than anything to to be your friend, not to judge you, not to condemn you. He didn't come to tell you what a terrible person you were. He came so that you could experience life to the fullest. And the thing that you've got to do is simply say that you believe and that you accept what he has done for you and you can enter into relationship with him. Friends, that is why we do what we do. We don't gather as a church so we can just feel good about ourselves and say, look what an awesome church we are and this is great and we're filling the room up. No, we want people to experience and encounter a God who loves them and wants more than anything else to have a relationship with them. So we're gonna give you an opportunity to say yes to relationship with Jesus if you've never done that before. Before we do, maybe you're here and at one time you said that prayer. Maybe you were following after God and I don't know what happened. Maybe you just got busy. Maybe you got disillusioned. Maybe like me, you identify with that story that something happened, something painful, maybe to you or to someone close to you and you couldn't reconcile how a good God would allow something so destructive to happen. 
And so instead of having a friend who helped you follow after God and brought you spiritual strength, you just chose to simply walk away and say, God, I don't know if I can serve or follow a God if that's the way it's gonna be. But friend, I wanna let you know today that God's will and his plan was never for you to face destruction. And his word is so clear that he wants to turn around those things that harm what the enemy meant for harm, that God wants to use it for our good. And honestly, it doesn't matter what reason you walked away. God has always been open, waiting, arms wide open, saying, welcome home, without judgment, with love. So if that's you today in either one of those categories, where everyone's head is bowed, everyone's eyes closed, I'm gonna ask you to do something. We're not gonna call you out. We're not gonna single you out. I'm just gonna ask you to simply, simply slip up your hand on the count of three, if that's you, for the first time, or maybe you need to make that recommitment. On the count of three, you're gonna slip up your hand today. One, two, three. See that hand? Awesome. You can put your hands down. We're going to pray together so that no one has to pray alone. I'm going to ask you to repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. Come into my life. Make me new. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to follow you all of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, can we cheer for those who made a decision to follow after Jesus today? Thanks for listening. If you would like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at treeline.church or on social media. Our mission is to see family trees changed by a lifelong relationship with Jesus. We hope you can listen or join us next week.